Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. I just praise God that you're here. I'm I'm just going to take a message cue from Brother Mike. He asked me to speak today on the subject of Peter. And I thought, wow, that's fun. I love that. I love the, the opportunity to develop a message on somebody like Peter. And I just want to say how much I love Mike and Rachel. What a blessing you guys are. Glimpses of light. You know, when I got the a little assignment from Mike to preach, I was glad it wasn't Thomas, to be honest. He did an amazing job on Thomas. But Peter, I can do because I'm sort of similar to Peter I have, uh, at times, a disease called athlete's mouth. Any of you know what that, what that is? That's open mouth, insert foot, and chew vigorously. <laughs> and that was Peter. I mean, the poor brother, he just always went from one mess to another mess to a hot mess. And he, and he just, but you know, he ended up leading on the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk today about from failure to freedom I want you to bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love that delivers us from fear, from failure, and Lord forgives us and then gives us great freedom to minister for you. Now, I pray, Holy Spirit, everybody that came would get exactly what they need. Let them hear a word that will change their life, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, uh, when I was 12, I loved to water ski. We had a little boat. We liked to go up to Lake Bruin in St. Joseph, Louisiana. And my parents would fill it with gas and just let us go out all day skiing. And I got pretty good. You know, I was 11 years old, 12 years old. And uh, my buddy was driving the boat. And, and uh, I told him to just do it in a 360. You know, and if you've ever water skied, that's the most fun. Because when the boat is going in a circle... You're behind it, you know, on the two skis, and it kind of slings you, you know, with uh, whatever they call it, centrifugal force slings you, and the tighter the boat goes in a circle, you go faster and faster, and I must have got up 40, 50 miles an hour on those skis, and I'm out there, and it's going, and I don't know what came in my mind, but I remembered a guy skiing barefoot. Help me, Lord. And I just, I don't know what happened, but the next thing I knew, I did what I remembered he did. I just jumped out of my skis, and I thought my feet would be like those boards. But but the moment I hit the water, my feet went straight down, and all I remember is face planting in that water. So It happened so fast, knocked the breath completely out of me for about a minute. Thank goodness I had a ski jacket on. My buddy was laughing his head off. He circled the boat back. And and the only thing I could do to kind of redeem the situation was I told him, man, that was awesome. It was unbelievable. And and he said, really? I said, oh, you got to do it. And I got him out and got him behind the boat. And I slung him around and he had the same experience. But you know, uh, sometimes you have a little bit of overconfidence in life. And failure is sort of our topic from failure to freedom. And, you know, it really starts with that overconfidence. You get loose. You get like, hey, you know what? I kind of got this now, and I know the drill, and I've been doing this long enough that I don't have any problem with failure. But I don't know if you've ever been disappointed in yourself because you thought you were spiritually stronger than you actually were. 
And maybe that places all of us right in the sweet spot for this message. You know, several years back, a bridge in Minneapolis, Minnesota that spanned the Mississippi, kind of like ours, that was an eight-lane bridge in Minneapolis, I-35. It wasn't a high bridge like ours. It was a low bridge. But right in the middle of rush hour traffic, loaded with cars, that bridge totally collapsed. And 135 cars went down in the water. If you remember, 10 people died and about 125 were severely injured. And, and they started an investigation, of course. What could have happened to this huge bridge that had been there for years? Nobody ever dreamed that could happen. And they saw on the reports that there was a stress fracture of some gusset plate that they had thought might be a problem in the future, but they didn't address it. In fact, they were starting some restoration work on the, on the bridge, but they left that a little bit too long. And when the pressure of the stress of rush hour came on that bridge, it collapsed. And, I, and I've thought about that so often that we're a people who live under pressure. This last year has been huge pressure for everybody. And that pressure sometimes can cause little issues. Our character's wonderful. Everything's great. We're saved. We love God. But there's a little issue in our character that doesn't come out until there's stress. And when Peter and his, his other brethren were there around the Lord's Supper, when Jesus first instituted the Lord's Supper, you know, they were under stress, man. I mean, this was it. He knew something was about to go down in Jerusalem. And we're going to preach this all the way up to Easter. But in that table, interestingly enough, the conversation was not about Jesus. It was about which one of them was the greatest. In fact, if you read it with me in Luke chapter 22, you read this word in verse 24. A dispute arose among them. This is at the Lord's Supper as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, they couldn't get a demon out of a girl just a few chapters earlier than that, but they always were competing about who was going to be at his right hand and his left in the kingdom and all those type of issues. Isn't that interesting how carnal we can be as Christianized as we've become? And that competition, that environment of competition produced a huge failure in Peter's life. And I'm going to be speaking on the three stages. This is a journey I'm going to take you on. Failure to forgiveness to freedom. Let's start with Peter's failure. I think it always starts with pride. Pride goes before a fall. Proverbs says in a hearty spirit before destruction. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So failure comes when there's an environment of competition. My wife and I were out on our little scooters. We got some electric scooters a few, few months back. We really enjoy them. And it has a, a comfort mode. It goes 11 miles an hour and a sport mode that goes 18 miles an hour. And we had them on a, a, right on a, a river in Fort Worth. I was visiting my son and this Beautiful trail through the woods. I mean, it must be about as wide as the apron on this stage, about 10 or 12 feet concrete. I mean, who could fall with a 12-foot wide road, you know? And I just got going a little faster, and I switched it from comfort to sport mode. I mean, I'm 68, but, you know, we all got a little fire in the chimney. Come on now, somebody. 
So here I am, and, and, and then I kind of got a little ahead of Melanie, and, and I kind of like that. You know, we had a little competition thing going, and, and I'm about 20, 30 yards ahead of her, and it was curvy, and it felt good. I was going around these curves, and I don't know if I looked back. I don't know if I hit a piece of wood. I don't know what happened. But the next thing I knew, I was in a pile on the side of that thing, and man, the handlebar hit me in the chest, and I, it knocked the breath out of me, and I, I just didn't even know. I didn't know if I was hurt bad. I didn't know. But gratefully, I wasn't. It took a few months for this, whatever, this little pain I had to go, kind of fully go away. I think it was a rib or something. But let me tell you something. The next time I got on that thing, I switched it down to comfort mode. Come on, help me out. Because... And I still ride it there, and, and it felt so easy, a little scooter. What can happen on a scooter? I can tell you what can happen on a scooter. And so let me read this verse from chapter 22 of Luke. If you have a Bible or you want to just write these down, they'll be behind me. Simon, Simon, Jesus said, right there at the Lord's Supper, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I don't know who I'm preaching this to, but... Maybe you're going through a, tra a trial, a storm at this moment. But he said, I have prayed for you. I love that part. That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. You notice he says when, not if. When you turn again, strengthen your brethren. And let me take that verse apart if I could. Because it says Simon, Simon. Isn't it interesting that that's his old name. He was born with the name Simon. But when Christ met him, he changed his name to Peter, the rock. But Simon, someone says, means shifting like a reed. Like, you know, and that was Peter. The guy was always kind of blown about by the winds of problems and stress. And he didn't call him Peter. They're there talking about who's the greatest. And he looks at him and he said, Simon, Simon. He called him by his old name. In other words, he's saying, I kind of think when I was over here in that conversation about who's the greatest, you're going back to your old ways. You're going back to your old mentality, you know, the way you used to think before you came to me and started following me. And when he called your name twice, it wasn't good in Scripture. Martha, Martha. Simon, Simon. I mean, he really wanted you to pay some attention. He said to him, Satan has demanded to have you. You know, I know we know, all know there is a real devil, but if you don't believe that today, you might be here, oh, that's a medieval concept. But let me tell you something. His first lie is that he doesn't exist. I had a friend that was the Golden Gloves champion of Louisiana, and he was fighting a, a, a fight, a boxing fight. And this other guy was whipping him terribly. His ears were bleeding, his nose was bleeding, his mouth was bleeding, his eyes were swollen shut. And he was about the 11th round, and he sat down in the corner, and his coach came up behind him. He says, son, get back in there. He hadn't laid a glove on you yet. And my friend Carl looked over him through all those puffy eyes and everything, and he said, would you please keep your eye on the referee then? I'm getting hit from somewhere. <laughs> well, see, that's people. We know we're getting hit. We don't know where it's coming from. It's an invisible enemy. And he hates you and he hates me because we've taken his place and we can lift our hands and worship and he can't do that anymore. He's forever banished from the kingdom of God. But he hates us 
And he'll do anything to knock you down, to step on you, to destroy you if he could. And failure is real. Failure is painful. It comes from your adversary. Adam failed. David failed. Moses failed. You look at the litany of failure. And isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't hide failure? That's how we know it's inspired. Most of those novels and most of those legacy books always make the hero perfect. But in this case, it always makes the hero imperfect. He said, Satan has wanted to sift you like wheat. That's a farming technique. That they took wheat once they harvested it, it still had the chaff or the stalk around it. And the way that they separated it or it They did take for hours doing it, but they just took a pitchfork and threw it up when the wind was blowing hard, and they threw it up in the wind, and that wind did the separating for them because the the stalk of the wheat, the chaff would blow away with the wind, and the real good grains of wheat would just fall back down to what they call the threshing floor or the winnowing floor or the sifting floor, and they did it over and over and over. I don't know if you've ever realized it, but life is sort of a series of times where you're thrown up in the air, and what is fake blows away, and what is faith comes back down to the floor. So in that way, Satan thinks he's destroying you, but actually he's helping you to be refined. Come on now, say something to me. And this says Satan's desire to sift you, but I've prayed for you. Now our prayers, sometimes we don't have a lot of faith in our own prayers. We think, well, if Brother Mike was praying for me or if this one was praying for me, but I don't ever get my prayers. But I got better news for you than Mike or Rachel or me or anybody praying for you. Jesus Christ is praying for you. And man, he's at the right hand of the Father and he sees exactly what you're walking through this moment today, the business, the health problem. And he says, I got you, I got you, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And let me tell you, he says, and when, this is the last part of the verse, when you are restored or when you Come through the time of testing, the message Bible says. Turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Look at that. Jesus did not say if, if you come through. I'm telling you, I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but you're in such a storm. You've doubted that you're even going to be around next year. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a when. You're going to come through it. When he brought his disciples across the lake, he said, let's go over to the other side. He didn't say, let's go to the middle of the lake and die in that storm. He says, let's go to the other side. You are going to the other side. Can you say amen to that? So when you are strengthened, strengthen your companions. Now let me just walk you through these three steps. First step of Peter, as the Lord predicted, was a failure. Flat failure. He followed the Lord from the Garden of Gethsemane to the place where Christ was interrogated by the Sanhedrin. And there must have been a window he could see in or either the part of the wall was missing. But he was there warming his hands by what the Bible calls a charcoal fire. 
and it's cold and he's warming his hands but he's trying to look through that window or look in whatever was missing so he could see something to see what was going on with Jesus and this girl looks at him and says do I not recognize you like aren't you one of those guys that goes to healing place church no not 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 really that's not what she said aren't you one of those guys that was hanging around with Jesus and his disciples and Peter kind of got mad and he said woman I don't know that man. Now, just 20 verses before, he had said in front of everybody, I'm ready to go to prison, and I'm even ready to die for you, Jesus. And a little girl had scared him half to death. And then a man set up in the other side of the fire and said, you know, I think I, I've seen him with that Jesus Christ too. And he said, he said, man, that's what he said, man, I've never met that man. I don't know anything about that man. And then again, the girl spoke up and she said, oh no, oh no, no, no. You just cut the ear off of that servant of the high priest that you are the guy. And he said to her again, woman, but this time he really backslid. In about one sentence, Peter went back totally to his fishing days and he began to cuss. And he called down a curse upon himself if he even knew Jesus Christ. I heard about a preacher that was buying an old lawnmower from a guy. And the guy said, you know, it's a Briggs and Stratton engine. And I think God put the Briggs and Stratton engine in the world to test our sanctification, you know. And he said, this thing doesn't start too good at times. He said, oh, that doesn't bother me. He said, well, let me tell you, you pull this thing about 10 times It'll make you cuss. And he didn't know the guy was a preacher and the preacher was offended. He said, sir, I haven't even thought of a curse word in 25 years. And that guy selling him the lawnmower said, bro, you pull this about 10 times, they're going to all come back to you. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? We think we're so spiritual. And there he is at the fire cussing like a sailor, blankety, blankety, blank. I told you, I don't know Jesus Christ. The head of the church, Peter, the leader of Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. And that rock turned into a little pebble. He, t he wilted like a little girl. He, he, just, he just perished right there. And then what happened is so amazing. The Bible says he turned and looked And at that very moment, Jesus is over here in front of the Sanhedrin, and he turned and looked at Peter. Read it in Luke 22, that moment. Their eyes locked through that window. Can you imagine how he felt when he looked? And there was the Lord looking right at him, and all he saw was love. People that have seen Jesus in the flesh have written about it. They said, His eyes are indescribable. They just like, look like wells of liquid love. If you've had a failure in your life here today, there's somebody looking through the window at you. And you say, I don't think God loves me anymore. Oh, wait a minute. He wanted to be sure to catch Peter's eyes. And the next verse says it all. Peter went out and wept bitterly can we move to stage two here is that okay we got his failure we, we we heard it all we heard all the cussing now we come to his forgiveness and i'm just giving you three little words failure forgiveness and freedom 
And you have to go to each stage after a failure. Forgiveness happened for Peter the moment he saw the eyes of Jesus. He felt repentance. Now Judas also said he felt bad about what he did. He denied the Lord too. But it said he felt regret and he turned the money back in. Regret and repentance are two completely different things. Maybe you're here and you think you know the Lord, but you've only had regret because regret just says, I hate what happened to me and the consequences I'm going to have to live with. I went through this. I did that. I got went to jail. I this. I, I, I regret all that. That's not repentance. Repentance is the moment you realize what your actions did to hurt Jesus. That's a whole different thing. And when he looked in those eyes, he thought, I have been a fool. I have done exactly what he said. And at that moment, the cock crew. And he went out and he wept. But it wasn't a little kind of a little, you know, like some people weep at an Alka-Seltzer commercial almost. It wasn't that. This was a deep sobbing. I can see that old fisherman over behind a tree somewhere. Just his shoulders are shaking. And he's saying, Lord, Lord. What have I done to you? See, a whole difference from Judas. He went and hanged himself. Regret always causes you to be in failure, live in failure the rest of your life. But true repentance says, Jesus, I'm so sorry for what I've done, and I ask you to forgive me. And he had a chance to say that to him, I'm sure. When he rose from the dead, it says Peter and Jesus had a talk. I'm sure they did. But we fast forward a few chapters to John At the close of Jesus' 40 days, Peter just got discouraged. I know what that was, shame. When there's a failure, you can repent, but it doesn't mean you've been restored yet. Repentance only washes it away, but there may be a scar there. And I think as he said to his friends, and I'm reading now from John chapter 21 and verse 3, he said, I'm going fishing. Fishing, what does that mean? He means I'm leaving the ministry. I'm going back to my old occupation. I don't deserve to preach. I'm ashamed of myself. And as he was fishing, they caught nothing, and he saw a figure on the beach. And recognized who he was, Jesus. And he dove in the water. He, he put his garments around him and he dove in the water and swam to shore. And as he got up on that shore dripping water, Christ had, believe it or not, a charcoal fire. You remember what kind of fire he had? Luke said it was a charcoal fire. That's where he denied the Lord. And the Lord built the same type of fire. And said, hey, Peter. Why don't you come on over and have some breakfast? I want to talk to you. He's going to move him from repentance to restoration. He said, Peter, actually he called him by his old name, Simon, do you love me? And Peter, of course, replied, yes, Lord, I do. You know I love you. And then he said it a second time. Simon, calling him by his old name. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Oh, God, uh, Jesus, I love you. And he went a third time. Simon, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. Why are you asking me this? You know that I love you. And I often wonder, why did he have to ask him the same question three times? I know there's some little Greek words in there and 
that could be a little, little translation difference, but he really just basically asked him the same question, and the Lord spoke this to me. He said, I asked him three questions that he had to say yes to because he'd been asked three questions that he had said no to. He brought him to the very point of his sin at the same fire, three questions, but he wanted to hear a yes instead of a no. And my brothers and sisters, you know what? I don't know what happened in your life. I remember a friend of mine telling me that his dad backed his car up and squealed the tires and put it in reverse. And he was 10 years old and the dad rolled down the window and he said, I never want to see you or your mother ever again. And he backed up, squealed his tires and left. And he said, Brother Larry, it was like a sword in my heart. I never saw my dad for years. He said, I, that, that was like a sword. I don't know who failed you. I don't know what you did. But God always brings us back to the charcoal fire where he can probe our heart. And now we move to the last step. We got his failure. We all know Peter's failure. We also now see his forgiveness that he wept and he had godly sorrow and Jesus restored his life. But now we go 40 days more and he's in Jerusalem. Christ has gone back to heaven and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And suddenly the Bible says from heaven there came a sound like a rushing wind and a fire that sat on everybody's head and they all received a language that they could pray in that was not their native language. And as they began praying and there was such a loud noise, it gathered thousands of people from many countries who were there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And they couldn't believe it. They're hearing all these people speaking in other languages, but they understood them because it was their native language from back in their home. It's a miracle that what that happened on the day of Pentecost. But nobody even explained to them what was happening. And Peter, Peter, now is his moment. And he's thinking, Lord, I've denied you. I know you've forgiven me. I know you love me, but I can't go back and preach again. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit rose up inside of him and said, I've called you, and he moved to level three. And I don't know, maybe you're here today, and you messed up, you know you're forgiven, but you've never been able to do anything for God again. But he got over his shame, and he got over his blame, and he got back in the game. Come on, somebody. And he picked up himself, walked to that door, and thousands of people were there. And he said, you men of Israel, these guys are not drunk like you think. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And 22 verses later, he gave an invitation to those people. And 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ in the greatest sermon ever preached. From a failure. What I love about that is it just tells me that I never have to live beneath my privileges. And I never have to think back to my failures. Because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When I was at ORU, I went to a speech class. 
And I didn't know I hyperventilated. I didn't know I, if I got up in front of people, I couldn't breathe. Any of you like that? That when you know you go when, and you don't want to get on a stage. That well, I didn't know I got in front of thirty students and I started hyperventilating. I finished the speech, but it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I went back to the dorm, and the phone rings, and it's the chaplain. And he said, hey, there's this original song that you've written, and people are doing it all over the campus. I want you to sing that tomorrow in chapel for the 5,000 students there. I said, no way, Chaplain Stamps. I hyperventilate. I can't, I don't know what I'll, I, I may not even be able to sing one note. He said, I don't care what you do. I'm going to call your name out and whether you walk out from behind the stage or not is your business. That was not fair. Long story short, I said, devil, you're not going to have my life. I'm going to break through this. I'm going to walk through this wall of fire, and it's going to be a wall of smoke. And I walked out, and I opened my mouth, and I don't know what key it was in. It was in the key of letter. I just let her fly, brother, and it happened. And I've been free ever since. Come on, say amen. I'm talking about freedom. I'm going to close with this story. I heard about a blimp in World War II. Not the Hindenburg, the German blimp that exploded in New Jersey. We had our own blimp, America did, called the USS Akron, and it was a naval blimp. And the Akron was landing in San Diego, right on the coast, beautiful San Diego. And it was landing, and all these reporters were there, and it threw over its bow rope to 400 feet down, and all these sailors caught the rope, and they were starting to gently pull that big blimp down to the ground when suddenly the nose of the blimp unexplainedly lurched upward. And a lot of guys had their arms around that rope, and it started jerking them off the ground. Most of them let go immediately, but four guys did not let go. And 15 feet up, one of them dropped and broke his arm, but three guys just kept hanging on because they were too high to drop. 30 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet up. Three guys, two of them dropped off from almost 200 feet and were killed instantly. But the third one just kept hanging on. And they expected him to fall any second. The pilot was thinking about trying to land the thing to get the man down, but he knew he would be killed if he tried to land. So he he went up to 2,000 feet and then went out over the ocean to get away from the strong air currents. That young boy, named uh, his first name was Bud. He was a sailor. That young boy hung underneath that blimp for two hours. They finally dropped a man down there and winched him back up into the cockpit and landed the USS Akron. Now that boy, Bud Cowart, was only 18 years old and he stepped out of the cockpit when it landed with reporters everywhere and they put a stretcher there. He said, I don't need a stretcher. And he just walked off and they said, wait, 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 wait. you hung on for two hours. How did you do that? You know what he said? He said, no, I wasn't hanging on at all. He said, I figured out when my buddies dropped off that I could just take the end of the rope and lasso it around myself and tie it off around my midsection. And he said, I just took my hands off. He said, I was just up there swinging free for two hours. When I heard that story, 
I got the principle. And this is for you. You're not hanging on to God. God's got his grace and his promises and his love and his forgiveness and his healing all wrapped around you and tied in a knot. It ain't you. It's Jesus. You just throw your hands up and praise him in freedom. Come on, let's give the Lord a great shout together. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.